UK Motor Talk. Welcome to the latest UK Motor Talk. In this issue, well done, Lewis. Bloodhound's progress, to change or not to change, tyres that is. Let there be light. Older drivers, autonomous driving on two continents, plus the London Brighton veteran car run. UK Motor Talk News. Graham Benj. Well done, Lewis, on your fourth World Championship. I've been lucky enough to meet Lewis several times in the decades since he appeared on the scene. Now he has joined the rarefied upper stratosphere of the truly greats, a four-time champion, joining arch-rival Sebastian Vettel, equally on four titles. But will he gain one more to equal Fangio's record five titles? Could he even get to equal Michael Schumacher's astounding seven titles? Well, Britain's most successful racer is only 32, with perhaps four more years at his peak. There's a good chance he'll get to five, but seven, that's a very tall order. Luck plays as big a part as talent when it comes to multiple titles. Seb was able to drive an absolutely dominant Red Bull to achieve his titles, one after the other. Lewis has driven absolutely dominant Mercedes for four years. Michael took Ferrari to dominance from a very, very low position. And Fangio possessed... Well, really a quite extraordinary ability to be in the right car, the right team, at just the right time. None of which detracts from the talents, motivation, determination and supreme athleticism of four truly great drivers over the 67 years of Formula One. UK Motor Talk. With Brazil coming up imminently, let's have a quick look back at the Mexican Grand Prix. We held our breath in Austin. Will he, won't he? Well, no, Lewis simply couldn't settle the title there. But even Mexico City looked a little unlikely at one stage as Max, Lewis and Seb all clashed in the long run to the first corner. Max grabbed first and emerged unscathed as Seb lost his front wing and Lewis received a puncture, necessitating a very long, slow drive back to the pits. Lewis reappeared at the very back of the field with Seb just a couple of places ahead. Curiously, Seb went straight into a fight back and Lewis seemed unable to overtake anyone at first, only apparently remotivated after assurances from his engineer that others were able to overtake. We know the Mercedes is a bit of a diva, but he seemed very dispirited at that stage. But Seb's fight back was in vain as he knew it would be. He needed to finish second to postpone the inevitable, and fourth was the best he could achieve. A fine effort, but no cigar. Lewis finished ninth, and basically that was enough, even though Toto said it was one of the less interesting races he'd seen. So for Lewis, job done and well done. Not the race he or the team expected, but enough to take the title. UK Motor Talk News The Ford Robot Yes, you heard me right. Robot, not robot. In a rather cheeky effort to improve their car seats, Ford have invented a robot, dubbed Robut, which emulates the movement of the human bottom as it enters and exits the car, using the same sideways sliding movement we all do. Well, you think about it next time you get into your car or out of your car. You don't sit straight like a robot does. You slide in from one side. But this robot does so 25,000 times in just three weeks, effectively a decade of use to test the longevity of the seats. If you want to see this electromechanical wonder in action, have a look on YouTube. He's going to be busy. Seats in all new Fords will soon be tested in this way. From the archive, Andy Green, The Bloodhound Project. 
15 years ago we set what is still the uh, the world land speed record with thrust SSC 763 miles an hour fast forward to now 15 years later there are four or five teams around the world all trying to build cars to break our record which is brilliant it's a really exciting time and bizarrely we are one of them not because we need the record we already hold it but it's more than that we are trying to reach out and inspire a whole generation of young people those kids who are going to build and maintain and live in the high technology low carbon world of tomorrow and it was actually one of the racing drivers is here this weekend Paul Drayson who uh, actually we went to see him when he was in government as a minister a few years ago um, and he was looking for an iconic project to inspire young people a very dangerous thing to say with Richard Noble and Andy Green in the audience because we went and said well actually Paul we can help there sorry my lord we can help you there Um, we can build you a 1,000 mile an hour car and share all of the technology and actually inspire people with it and he said great what do you need from me? Can we have a jet engine from a typhoon, please? So he said no to that because they're four and a half million pounds of time and massively short supply. Then we had a sensible conversation about it's not actually the iconic project, it's the engineers. So how did we get the technology from something like a race car, albeit the world's fastest race car, into the schools? And right there, we laid out the bones of what is uh, now Project Bloodhound, which was to design and build this car with full public scrutiny, share everything, share the data, share the drawings, run live video from the car when we run it, and run a huge schools programme to have every school in the country with the the ability to access lesson plans, live video, data, so that we can actually get kids from six to, let's face it, 96 years old, excited about the magic of science and technology. We first interviewed Andy Green about the Bloodhound Project years ago, and this week they passed one of the key interim system checks with back-to-back 200-mile-an-hour test runs on an airfield in the West Country. The team already hold the world land speed record at well over 700 miles an hour, but Bloodhound is aiming to break 1,000 mph with Andy, an Air Force fast jet pilot, as driver. Powered by a V10 F1 engine as the starter motor, yes, as the starter motor, which gets the engine going, and then a pure rocket motor takes over. Further testing at increasing speeds is planned for next year with a full-out land speed record attempt in 2019 or 2020 on a salt lake somewhere in the Southern Hemisphere. UK Motor Talk. Winter tyre changes, will we, won't we? Little surprise, I suppose, that those are the most to gain, the various tyre dealers' association, should once again bring to our attention... The, to me, rather odd notion of changing your tyres ready for the winter. Don't new cars come with a set of all-purpose tyres that the car makers consider suitable for all conditions? Perhaps they should sell all cars with two sets of wheels. I'm tempted into a sort of bar humbug seasonal moment. Make sure your existing tyres have good tread depth, at least 5mm for winter tyre conditions, have no sidewall damage and are correctly inflated. They'll do you in all except the most extreme weather conditions. And if that sort of winter conditions usually arrive where you live, we suggest you should be driving a 4x4 anyway. And if you don't have a 4x4, perhaps you should take a look out of the window in the morning and if the weather conditions are really that good, you should decide it's not urgent enough that I want to go out there. Stay home. You're a lot safer at home than you are in a car on a snowy or icy road. For more good advice on looking after your tyres and the things that you need to do to keep them safe and keep yourself safe, 
I would suggest you do take a look at one of our Four Court Fixes videos on that very subject. UK Motor Talk. Lights. And on the subject of winter driving already, we seem to have major lighting issues since the change of the clocks just a week or two ago. I've travelled a good distance in the last few days on motorways, country roads, etc. And so far I've seen numerous cars with no lights turned on, many cars with only one headlight, cars with no brake lights, cars with no rear lights at all, and in the recent fog, cars with no front or rear fog or driving lights. And others who have turned their rear fog lights on will probably turn them off again in March next year. It's a pretty basic driving skill that perhaps a third of drivers fail to master. Pretty good idea to check your lights and your bulbs on a weekly basis. It's very, very simply done. Turn everything on and walk around the car. How basic is that? But at least you will be seen. It's not always about what you can see. It's about other drivers seeing you. So make sure you're lit up a bit like a Christmas tree and then they'll all avoid you. UK Motor Talk News. The world's car makers are becoming increasingly confident in their autonomous driving systems and are releasing more and more test vehicles onto our roads. Two announcements this week will launch driverless test cars into some of the world's most difficult driving conditions. Nissan is to conduct testing in Tokyo's hugely crowded traffic and Chevrolet is to do the same in the automotive cut and thrust of downtown New York. I can commend, and it's well worth listening to, the recent Archive on 4 Radio 4 program on autonomous driving, which looks back at the history of the car to some degree. Um, Well worth a listen and available for download now. Young drivers of all the accidents, right? Well, perhaps the statistics have never been that clear. But older drivers, 75 plus, do have an increasing number of accidents as they age. Their hearing is less good, the eyesight declines, and reaction times are certainly worse. There has long been an argument that older drivers should be retested more often. A GP certificate is a very poor proof of the continuing ability to drive safely. This was brought home by the driving authorities in Tokyo, taking a long, hard look at the fatal accident statistics involving 75-year-old and more drivers. A citywide spot check took hundreds of elderly drivers off the road with dangerous eyesight, severely reduced spatial awareness and in many cases late stage dementia. Well, I'm just 66, but I believe another decade of driving is probably going to be enough for me. Perhaps we all need to review those near misses, those moments of inattention and the poor decision making that suggest it might be time to give up. London to Brighton veteran car run. On the 5th of November 1896, a small group of cars gathered together in Hyde Park and ritually tore up a red flag. The red flag that up until the previous day Parliament had decreed had to be led by a man in front of every car and all of those cars being limited to four miles an hour. On that day, the red flag was torn up and the speed limit was raised to 14 miles an hour. And the cars that were gathered together processed to Brighton Seafront in celebration. 2017, 450 cars took part in that very same ritual. The tearing up of the red flag, the emancipation run, which has 
been run almost every year since 1905 and is restricted to cars that are older than 1905. So the minimum, minimum age for these cars in all cases is 112 years. And they're all gathered here together to go off very shortly. We've had an initial look around some of these cars, myself and Michael Gates. Michael's with me. Michael, what sort of uh, impression? You're normally into your fast cars, as I am. This is very, very different end of the motoring spectrum. What takes your fancy? Well, I think today, what I can spot from this, they're going to be making a racy 20 mile an hour dash down to Brighton. Um, but they've got to be brave. It's uh, dark still, the moon's out, but it looks like it's going to be a fine day, and it's cold, really cold. There's some beautiful cars here. The first time I've seen a Peugeot that I, I can honestly say that I really like since the 205. Um, but, uh, but, but some genuinely beautiful cars here. You mentioned the, the Peugeot there. It, it is um, said of this event, well, the Germans invented the, uh, the motor car. Indeed, they did in 1884. But within about 10 years, the French really had grabbed the mantle. They were racing the things, building the things, and there were more French manufacturers than in any other car-making country. And we are seeing that here already this morning because there are just... Well, this year there's there's a very special representation of French cars. Panard Lavasseur, Dirac, De Dion Bouton, all of those uh, names which are great and highly respected. And you'll know because you're the engineering man, some of the patents granted to some of those cars in the early 1890s are still on modern cars. Panhard still designed certain parts of the car's uh, suspension and so on. Yeah, and I think it's incredible that you see some of the manufacturers that have survived. Um, you see, you're, you're, you know, as we say, Peugeot and, and Renault here as well. There's a number of, uh, of manufacturers that have that disappeared or moved into other heavier engineering over the years. But, I mean, it's a real testament to all of them here that these things are still running. I mean, they've had plenty of opportunity to be left in a barn to deteriorate. But here we are, you know, and 450 cars. I mean, that's not an inconsiderable number for any run. No, well, and they're all, as you can hear behind us, they're all in the process of setting off now. Some are, look incredibly primitive. Some look, you know, relatively modern. They, they, they look belie their age. But there are some very strange seating arrangements, uh, as we're seeing here, with a, a car going past us where the passengers face the driver and the driver appears over the passenger's shoulders. Every sort of steering uh, input imaginable, uh, every sort of uh, engine combination imaginable, but all of these cars are lovingly looked after by their respective owners, and in some cases museums, and they're all gonna make that, uh, that run. Let's hope they all get there. Uh, we're told that one of the fastest is the, um, the Dietrich, which can still top 60 miles an hour, so uh, I would think that might be an early finisher. We shall see. My name is Gilbert Warning from the Netherlands. Now, I'm guessing this is your car. Yes, it is. Um, tell me a little about it. All I know so far is it's a Peugeot. That's correct. It's an 1897 Peugeot uh, Type 14, which was the first uh, model which used their own Peugeot engines. Before this, they had Daimler and Pennard engines, V-twins. And in 1897, they started to develop their own uh, uh, engines. And uh, this is the first model that they put it in. And only 18 models were built. How long have you owned the car, sir? I'm running it now for approximately five years, and we have it, well, for a 
over a few years already uh, since restora restoration. We, re we did this restoration ourselves. Well, that's a very impressive job. Is that your line of work, restoring veteran cars, or is this an adjunct? Well, it looks like my, my wife says, but no, I do have a different job, and this is just a hobby, but it's far more than a hobby. Lovely. Beautiful. Have you enjoyed your run so far? Yes, really great. My weather is wonderful, and uh, the car is doing terrific, so uh, fingers crossed, and we'll get to Brighton very early, hopefully. Well, enjoy. We'll see you in Brighton. We'll catch up with you later. Well, thank, thank you, you very, very much. much. Thank you very much. Well, yes, some hours later, uh, it's uh, a little bit warmer now. We're on Brighton Seafront, and one of the things that Michael and I have been looking at and commenting upon are the, what to us seem quite alien ways of, of constructing a car. Now, we're in front of, for example, uh, I think this is a 1902, 1903 Oldsmobile. They were very, very popular. They did sell an awful lot of them. But this is a car which which looks like a, a buggy, basically, and is curved at the front like a buggy. They've removed the horse, they've put an engine in the back, but it's steered by a tiller. Yeah, and it's mad. I mean, certainly a lot of the cars that are here, the, the earlier ones in particular, truly are horses carriages, as opposed to cars that we think of when we, uh, we think of sort of classic and vintage cars. I mean, this, uh, this Oldsmobile with its, its curved front is, is steered by a tiller with what effectively is a leaf spring in the middle. Um, but it, it's a, a very, very simple design, but a, again, a beautiful piece of engineering. The, the gas lamps on the front uh, are just purely hooked on and, and see if you can carry them off and uh, wander on the rest of your journey. Now, uh, just reversing into place right behind you, Michael, is a, a 1904 Dirac, uh, which is illustrative of the fact, I think, that the French were far ahead in the manufacture of these cars. Now, this is a full four-seat car, Conventional with doors, steered with a conventional steering wheel, a much larger engine, much more powerful, better lit, and yet the, the data manufacturer on that car is 1904, so only two years later, and the technology has moved on an incredible amount. Oh yes, I and mean, this is exactly what we think of when we think of a vintage car here. I mean, it's complete with... Um a, uh, what we call the, today a suicide door, a door that opens backwards so that ladies could disembark in a, in a, a more flattering manner. Um, it's a car that you'd want to be driven in. It looks comfortable. It's got a, a beautiful uh, set of leather seats, two benches, one in front of the other, even armrests, which uh, is uh, miles and miles ahead. Well, not one of the oldest cars. Certainly one of the rarest cars, I guess. I'm talking to Mr. John Dennis. Yes, you've seen their fire engines following you all the way around the world. But they were once upon a time car makers. Cars were 1901 was the first car. They originally started in 1895 with bicycles. Then went on to tricycles, motor tricycles, and then motor quadricycles. And then by 1901, they started producing cars. Discontinued car manufacturing at the time of the war um, and concentrated on war requirements. But this is one, this is the earliest of the three cars that still remain. It probably made around about 2,000 of them uh, in that 11, 12 year period. This one has a slightly unusual history. I gather it was sort of found 
by your dad in the back of the factory. Absolutely, that's absolutely right. Um, my father got it out of the factory. It had been taken back, we assume, in about 1910 um, for uh, for a new vehicle. The the purchaser did a trade-in, as it were. It remained at the factory uh, till the mid-30s, where my father uh, got it out, and he did his first run in around 34, 35, and did eight runs, and then gave it to me in uh, 59, 1959. And you've done every year since, and and just achieved a gold medal for doing so. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. I missed out one, uh, one run. I was in America, uh, but it's done every run since then. And said he clutching wood. Yes, he completed the run each time. So th- this car has done over 60 of these 60-mile runs from London to Brighton. It's done 65 now. My father did eight. And I've done, well, it makes it uh, 66, in fact, after today's run, yes. And a nice, easy run this time down? Good time? Uh, Well, timing was, I mean, it's taken about an hour and a half longer than normal because the the traffic has not been good today. Um, But touch wood, she's been pretty reliable. I had to change one plug, sparking spark plug. Um, but apart from that, she's been pretty reliable. As far as you're concerned, you carry on for as long as you can carry on. <laughs> for as long as uh, my insurance broker carries on <laughs> giving me coverage, yes. Thank you, John Dennis. Much appreciated. Thanks for your time. This is called Bertha. It's an 1897 Benz, the inventors of the motor car, of course. Benz Velo. It's a three and a half horsepower. And we're back to uh, one of the very, very early cars with huge rear wheels, smaller front wheels, cart springs, but it is more like a cart with seats. And most unusually, tiller steering. Um, that must have been a, a little bit of a wild ride at speed. Uh, I would imagine you'd have to be pretty brave. Uh, I mean, even with three and a half horsepower, and bearing in mind that you can get, you know, family cars now with a uh, hundred times that, uh, I think you definitely would have had to be brave to open it right up. And yet, this uh, gentleman just working on the engine at the back with this massive flywheel and a very convoluted belt drive. And this is how you started, and there it goes. <laughs> Simplicity itself. You just pull on the, the, the flywheel and away it goes. And just tighten the belts up when you want to drive. It's quite extraordinary. Well, I'm with uh, Malcolm Barber, co-chairman of Bonhams. We're just outside the Bonhams tent, which is one of the sort of hubs that everybody goes through. Now, Malcolm, you've been doing this for a very, very long time. The company have been doing this for a very long time. Well, you've driven this over 30 times, I think. Well, yes, my, my current car has done it 27 times, a couple of terminals over the years, but uh, and then before that I was uh, uh, some friends' cars, and uh, so it's got to be probably in the 35 to 38 years now. 
you'll be up for one of those gold medals before very much longer. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> oh, it won't be so very long. Now, that car, I overheard somebody saying earlier, that you found that current car in Hawaii, of all yeah. places. Yes, it was amongst a collection of early veterans in Hawaii that uh, were shipped over by the, uh, uh, the owner's family, and we sold them in England. We dispersed them in 89-90, in fact. In fact, there's quite a few other cars from that collection on the run today, which is nice to see. Um, but he was a, an avid collector of, of veteran Brighton cars of the period. Uh, it took my fancy because it was American engineering with um, European-style bodywork, quite commodious. Interesting combination. Now, I know that, uh, that, that particular car you seem to get a great deal of pleasure from. You're an auctioneer. Do you have a problem with separating cars you want to own and cars you need to sell? It's a bit like being a kid in the candy store, really, isn't it? Um, well, yeah, we all suffer from this disease of loving cars. And, you know, what I've, what I've over my years, I've, I've tried to collect a car for different type of events, you know, and not necessarily expensive cars, but, you know, things that you can do 50s classics in or veteran or Edwardian motoring. Of course, being Brighton, it's got to be 1904 or earlier. So, um, and of course, that, you know, that um, precludes other cars. So, yes, it's, uh, being an auctioneer, I see some fabulous things. And, and you're, you're, you're learning things. You see people who are in, in deep with their cars and understand them and, and know a lot about them. Well, I, I find it quite extraordinary that any company would bring almost this entire management team out <laughs> on, on an event like this, and it, it shows the passion behind the company. Well, we're all, all in the senior team in the car department. We're all, we're all club members as well. So, you know, we're, we're, we're having fun ourselves. It's, it's, it's a hobby. It's a profession. But, of course, Bonhams is one of the uh, three largest auctioneers in the world of, of everything, not just cars, of fine art and, and, and antiques and furniture and jewellery. So, um, but cars is... Is, is our particular passion on, on the exec team. I was going to say cars are us, but I suspect that's already been used. <laughs> yes, it has. <laughs> you had a, a particularly successful auction two days ago, the veteran cars. Yes, we always, we always start the week, weekend off with our auction of, of Brighton eligible cars. We had 27 cars, we sold 26 of them. Well, there was one that was unsold, I think it was 27 we had in the sale. Very good, and, and some of them made the run today. It's yeah. brilliant, because some of them came... Uh, to the auction with uh, pre-registered. Yes, and also this, uh, what was so interesting was the Salverson steam cart, that wonderful coal-driven machine that um, was in the Milligan collection when we sold it in the early 2000s, um, changed hands and the new owner and the past owner we sold it for were both on it. I passed them earlier on. It seemed to be steaming very well on Welsh coal. He said Welsh coal's the best things for it. Best things for a lot of things. There's an, there's an industry of the past. <laughs> Thank you very much for your Great time, Malcolm. You it's good, good to see you, down here thank you thank you we started the day at daybreak we're finishing it at sundown the uh, sun rapidly disappearing over brighton pier and most of the cars are in but they are still arriving it's now quarter past four ordinarily they would have been here all at least an hour uh, or so earlier <laughs> but the traffic has been such on the new route that um, it has been very very difficult for them to make up their usual sort of time. Michael, we, uh, it looks like most of the cars are now in. They are still coming in gradually, but you know, for some of them, this has been a marathon in cars that are 120 years old in some cases. I think probably marathon is the right word. I think it's very easy to forget now when we climb into our cars with heated seats and you know, climate control. Um, at the London to Brighton is a short hop for us. Um, but really, this is a, a gargantuan effort of some of these cars, and 
it's really impressive they've managed to get down here. We've had a changing landscape of different vehicles rolling through the paddock and, and swapping and loading up and moving on and, and another and another. And it, what an incredible display of all these cars and how incredible that they've all, at their vintage, managed to make their way down here. Well, it looks like it's something like 450 or just over set out. Um, no, I know as we were coming down in the, the camera car, uh, certainly uh, there were a few that had fallen by the wayside. But by and large, from talking to owners here now, um, well, they just, they just fix it and carry on. Uh, so I would have thought 95% of those cars, at least, will probably eventually get here. They may have to stay open a little bit late for some of them, but they will get here. We need to move before we get uh, run over. It has been a fabulous event. Highlights for you? Uh, it, it, it's just purely the, the variety of cars here. I mean, these are cars that you only, if you're lucky, see static in a museum. But, you know, to see them all down here and working and the spirit that goes behind it, everyone's been really friendly. You know, it's what a, a great bunch of people and, and what a great event. It's amazing that uh, so many of these vehicles are still in cherished private ownership and uh, brilliant that uh, they've all got here. They all look so fabulous and it's a tribute to their owners' efforts that, they, that they've all made it again this year. And let's hope we'll be back here next year to see them all again. Well, quite an amazing day there with the veteran cars and one wonders in looking at these cars which are in some cases over 120 years old whether our current cars will last even one-tenth of that time. I suspect not. That's it for this UK Motor Talk. We'll be back soon and look out for our forthcoming video on the London to Brighton veteran car run. UKMotorTalk.co.uk